Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Chicago Psychology Podcast. In order for black and marginalized communities to heal or to get access to healing services, we have to do um, something. We have to be really intentional about how we think about healing in terms of understanding that most people may not necessarily go to a psychologist or a clinical social worker as their first touch point for access to emotional health or uh, emotional health needs or mental health needs, right? A lot of folks are going to religious leaders. A lot of folks are going to teachers or coaches. Some people are going to um, their barber, their barber or their, or their stylist, or they might be going to a family member. And so really seeing how that was happening in our communities, it became really central for us to say, well, what's happening when our, when our folks are going to those people? Are they, are they able to get them the accurate kind of mental health information? Are they able to offer peer support in a way that is, um, you know, honoring and centering their wellness? Or are they giving stigmatizing information? Are they giving inaccurate mental health information? Hello, this is Dr. Scott Hoy. Today I'm joined by Yolo Akili. Yolo Akili is the founder and executive director of BEAM, or Black Emotional and Mental Health. I speak with Yolo about the work and mission of BEAM. They cover mental health issues in the Latin American and African American communities, sexism and systemic racism, and the general work of breaking down barriers to mental health services in minority communities. Like the work of BEAM, this conversation is an invitation to people from all walks of life to participate in reducing mental health stigma across race, sexual orientation, and gender. Mental health clinicians and the general public alike, you will both find food for thought in our discussion. And now, here's the interview. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Today, I'm speaking with Yolo Akili, the executive director of BEAM. BEAM is a collective of advocates, yoga teachers, artists, therapists, lawyers, religious leaders, teachers, psychologists, and activists committed to the emotional, mental health, and healing of black communities. Welcome aboard. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to give you the space to kind of describe what BEAM is, how long you've been around, and, and, and what your goal is. Yeah, absolutely. So um, so BEAM stands for the Black Emotional Mental Health Collective, um, and we have been around since 2016. 
Um, we primarily see ourselves as a training, uh, movement building, and grant making institution. Um, and so I can kind of break that down in terms of what that looks like. Um, one of our principal kind of beliefs is that in order for Black and marginalized communities to heal or to get access to healing services, we have to do um, something, we have to be really intentional about how we think about healing in terms of understanding that most people may not necessarily go to a psychologist or a clinical social worker as their first touch point for access to emotional health or uh, emotional health needs or mental health needs, right? A lot of folks are going to religious leaders. A lot of folks are going to teachers or coaches. Some people are going to um, their barber, their barber or their, or their stylist, or they might be going to a family member. And so really seeing how that was happening in our communities, it became really central for us to say, well, what's happening when our, when our folks are going to those people? Are they, are they able to get them the accurate kind of mental health information? Are they able to offer peer support in a way that is, um, you know, honoring and centering their wellness? Or are they giving stigmatizing information? Are they giving inaccurate mental health information? And are they being buried? And are they being barriers to broader psychological care if that is needed? Or are they being like people who can be gateways to helping people understand how mental health uh, traditional clinical mental health operates and how they can get support and care. And so as we started doing our work, we saw that it was often that sometimes there were barriers, right? That, that folks sometimes being barriers. And so a large part of our training work is really centered on training those folks who we know are those first frontline folks for mental health and emotional health care before, often before people get to psychologists or social workers, or even, even if they ever get there, mm-hmm. and giving them skills and tools and strategies, accurate information around mental health diagnoses, accurate information around like, you know, um, how mental health even works or what mental health is, and as well as giving them some concrete peer support skills that are informed by a framework we call healing justice. And um, healing justice is essentially this framework that is, um, comes out of the work of primarily black Southern women, queer folks, trans folks, disabled folks, who were trying to grapple with and understand the nuances of what it means to heal in a culture or society where they feel like there was often um, a lot of oppression operating. And in a lot of ways, they were engaging healing systems that didn't um, have their best interests in mind or often often were against them, right? And so healing justice really calls on us to say that in order for us to be able to accurately address mental health needs, community health needs of anyone, we have to also dismantle the uh, the sexism in the world. We have to, dis- we have to dismantle um, ableism and racism and, um, you know, and um, transphobia, that all those pieces have to happen simultaneously for effective healing and mental health support to really occur, not only on an individual, but a collective level. And so a lot of our work centers on that particular premise of like, Let's work in communities across different racial, ethnic backgrounds, and let's address these issues as we are also simultaneously um, supporting the wellness of our folks in our communities. So that's one piece of our training. The other piece is our movement building and our grant making. Um, we offer micro grants to people across the, um, particularly in the South, um, who are doing support in rural communities. Most Black people in the United States live in the rural South, and it can be very difficult to get access to um, culturally competent mental health care. And so what we do is to give micro-grants to folks who are clinicians out there who might be able to um, offer care for support for folks. But we also support different kinds of creative um, wellness projects. So, for example, in Memphis, Tennessee, we've supported um, a, team, a group of doulas out there, so many of them who hold MPHs, a Master's in Public Health, and they do support, they basically support um, low-income black women 
who may be expecting with doula support, as well as like give, give them more information accurate around like, you know, um, their maternal health, maternal mental health and those pieces, in which we know that like right now there's a maternal health crisis in black communities with black women in terms of um, rates of mortality. And so that's the work that, that we support them doing that work in the South. We also support like, you know, um, quote unquote, non-traditional methods of uh, healing and wellness. So in Atlanta, Georgia, we support, support Community Roots Clinic which they basically um, do herbal medicine. These are certified herbalists who give herbal medicine to uh, um, um, homeless LGBTQ youth in Atlanta um, who might not be able to get access to, um, you know, adequate care or any care, or maybe afraid to go to care, but they'll come and get some access to some herbal medicine, which might be able to support them or alleviate some distress in the interim. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we support them in being able to give off that herbal medicine from certified herbalists, right? And so this is like a lot of different, we think about mental health and healing very broadly. And, um, and we also like support a variety of different organizations um, across the country who are doing this kind of work, um, whether it is um, in white communities, black communities, Latino, Latinx communities, um, trans or queer communities. We really center this framework as a, as a potential strategy to expand our understanding about mental health, but also support the wellness of our communities. Wow. <laughs> that's a lot. I mean, that's, that's amazing and, and wonderful. A big, broad kind of brushstrokes for that. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But um, since since we, we're kind of on the subject of, of that, the big broad brushstrokes, the things that you're doing, the kind of general, I wanted to back up a little bit here and kind of unpack mm-hmm. some of this. Uh, it sounds like a lot of your work is is in the South. Is that correct? Yeah, we definitely are all throughout the South. Okay. Mm-hmm. And are you making any inroads into other parts of the country? Yeah, well, we've done trainings everywhere. So, you know, about 55% of black folks are in the South. And so there definitely is a large disparity in the South for black people in mental health. You know, there are definitely like larger populations of us there. But we have done work, of course, where our headquarters is actually in Los Angeles, a coordinating center, I'll to say. So we've done work in Los Angeles and Oakland. We're about to do some work in Indianapolis. We're doing work in, we've done work in Chicago, Detroit. So we're everywhere. However, um, we do recognize that there, particularly because um, access to mental health care, just broader health care in general in the yeah. South is more difficult for folks, yeah. you know? Um, some of that's because of, like, you know, ACA expansion or lack thereof of Medicaid expansion. And so we do um, intentionally do a lot of training and support in 
those states understanding the disparity differential, right? And so, like, we just recently had um, our senior mental health advisor, Dr. Dion Bates, um, her and Gina Brown, they were in Anniston, Alabama, doing a training on well, black women um, and mental health and the intersection of HIV and AIDS, right? So critical intersections that we work at as well in the South where we know there's not only just mental health disparities, but also um, other public health disparities too. Wow, okay. Um, and you're also really working a lot with uh, trans and queer communities as well, which is important. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell me a little bit about like some specifics of that. Yeah. So, um, so throughout our work, like if you were to come to a beam training and I also make sure it's clear that people think people think that beam trainings are only for, you know, black folks. And I always make sure I clarify for those, um, on our training side, we make sure we clear that our, you'll see people of various different racial backgrounds in our trainings. And we say our trainings for anybody who is working or, and are living in black communities. And of course that means a lot of people who are not black. Right. And so, um, and so, um, in terms of our work, Everything that we do, we build and center it on the understanding that um, trans and queer people are in the room, that people are engaging trans and queer folks. And so that analysis around race and gender and class is always interspersed into everything we do. When when we're doing a particular, um, uh, say, a a strategy or solution building that we're doing, we're always holding, well, how does this impact black trans folks differently than it might impact a black heterosexual cis man, right? Or, you know, like how it might impact a Latino um, trans woman. So holding those nuances is really important. But we do have some specific initiatives that we've supported to help the black trans communities and um, mm-hmm. black LGBT communities, right? So we have, um, one, we have our black Exploring Black Trans Wellness, which is really about um, creating a space for black trans folks in the United States, uh, you know, a community that has quite frankly been terrorized, um, you know, not only been terrorized by um, all uh, uh, by communities in this country, but also sometimes by the mental health industrial complex, right? Like we think about the ways which trans folks have been historically perceived and seen and how that has led to a lot of fear and anxiety for trans folks who might benefit from mental health care, really being afraid to go get care because feeling like they will have they will have clinicians who won't be responsible, who won't be competent or just be, or be even curious enough to respect their, their, their lived experience, right? And so um, our Exploring Black Trans Wellness Initiative builds resources and tools and conversations across the country, helping not only clinicians, but also general community lay folks begin to dismantle um, transphobia and think about transphobia in their analysis and in their work. Um, in addition to that, we do a lot of work around, um, we have an initiative that's funded through the Me Too Fund, the Me Too Fund of the New York Women's Foundation, um, and that's called Reimagining Black Masculinity. And that initiative really works with black men and boys and masculine identifier folks in the country to really um, look at the intersection of masculinity and mental health and how so often in this country, because of the ways in which, um, you know, we men are dominant, the ways in which um, sometimes when men are not well, that distress often ends up being enacted on women and queer folks first, right? And so, um, and think about that intersection, how do we transform that? How do we change that? How do we change the way we think about masculinity and um, what we've been taught and, and try to create a more healthy, a more holistic framework for how we can be as human beings. It isn't so deeply rooted in rigidity and sparse emotionality and control and power and domination, right? And so that is um, directly an impact on, on the wellness of black men and, and boys, but also results in an impact on the wellness of um, other folks in the community as well who might be impacted by negative ideas about masculinity. So those are some of, the, some of the strategies and work that we do around training. And like in those trainings and in those, in those programs, there's always a lot of understanding of like, you know, teaching of mental health, 
what is mental health? What are what does it mean to live with depression? What does depression look like? What does depression look like in black communities, right? What does bipolar look like in different communities? And like what happens when you go to therapy, right? In our communities, there's often a lot of confusion about like what happens when you go sit down with a the therapist? Is it gonna be like, you know, the movie Get Out where somebody hits their teacup and you lose control or what's gonna happen, you know? And like, you know, in our communities there's a lot of fear about mental health, right? Because um we have to also hold that like the history of mental health in black communities has not been one that's been the most um, ethical or the most like respectful, right? That there's mm-hmm. been a lot of harm that has happened. Um, a lot of times we go to we go to communities in the south or even here in Los Angeles and we talk about mental health. The first thing that people come up with, um, Scott, Scott, they say that um, uh, it makes me think of the social worker who took my took my my brother away. Others are like, you know, the time in which I had a relative who was living with schizophrenia and, you know, they were in a state of mania, a state state of distress, and the police didn't know how to actually de-escalate them and ended up, you know, hurting them or killing them, right? And so we have to hold it like that is the very real trauma people are holding. Hold that, um, give people an opportunity to express that, and then, like, honor, honor that piece and also, like, say, these are our rights when it comes to mental health care, and this is why mental health care is still important. Even as we have to navigate these systems with caution, because unfortunately there are individual actors and systemic factors that aren't always in our best interest. Yeah. Well, you know, as I'm listening to this, uh, uh, I'm aware of a lot of this stuff, and uh, I'm I'm very uh, I'm very happy that that you're out there doing this awesome work. But on another level, I'm thinking that. It seems like the 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 work you're doing in the black communities is almost like a, a mirror image of how things such as transphobia and unpacking and reimagining masculinity and mental health stigma can be applied to any ethnicity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Like, I mean, you know, it's funny. So funny, Scott. Sometimes I'll talk to people. Um, and they'll say, you know, it's so mental health stigma is so bad in the black community. I was like, well, yeah, you know, white folks aren't exactly like yay mental health either all the time. Like, you know, just assuming, like, you know, our Latino folks are like, you know, people who are um, uh-huh. from different parts of the world. You know, there's just in general in America, um, while it does look different in every community, I don't want to dismiss the differences, right? But I definitely want to hold it like we live in a country that has a lot of anxiety and different fear around the idea of not being in control, a lot yeah. of stigma around mm-hmm. mental health, a lot of stigma around, um, you know, that if it exists or if it's valid or real, right? And so like, Correct. we yeah. want to hold it like it's definitely different in different communities, but it's not like there's a community in the United States where everybody's like, yeah, mental health, we're going to talk about this all the time. Like, you know, that's not necessarily... <laughs> Well, no, we know what's happening, right? <laughs> it, you know? it is not my experience uh, working with people of any ethnicity that it's that it's something that people want to wear on their shoulders much, you know, or wear on their arm exactly. or, or exactly. on their shirt sleeve. Exactly. Um, so, well, tell me a little bit about how Beam got started. Where did this come from? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, so I've worked um, in public health about 15 years before I started Beam. And my work had centered around a variety of different so a variety of different health health disparities that I felt neglected to really incorporate a robust mental health and healing justice framework. So I started doing work around HIV and AIDS, um, which is of course um, a huge pandemic in the United States and globally, right? And in Black gay men's communities and Black trans women's communities. And through that work, I started to see how 
even though there was a large body of research that showed the interconnectedness between having um, an HIV diagnosis and symptoms of depression and PT and like and distress and anxiety, um, the field of folks who were doing that work didn't all weren't always very deeply trauma informed. Like didn't have an analysis um, of mental health and how mental health could be kind of incorporated in every aspect of an organization. And so what ended up happening, there were a lot of things um, that occurred in those agencies. They just weren't mindful of the intersections and kind of like. Uh, a lot of people didn't, were not getting care or were not staying in care because of those things. So give me, give me an example. Like I always tell community-based organizations that just because you have a social worker or a psychologist online doesn't mean you're really doing a robust kind of mental health and healing justice framework, right? Because most people who are coming to those community-based organizations, their first touch point might not be the psychologist or the licensed clinical social worker. It might be the administrative assistant. It might be the outreach person who goes out and passes out flyers and goes to the community. It might be the community advocate or the, uh, or the program manager who they might see up front all the time and engage more. And if those folks don't have some real understanding, if they say, if they say stigmatizing things, which I've heard so many stories of, right? Like, there's been stories of people coming to get, you know, tested or get care in a community-based organization. They say that, like, you know, I feel like I'm hearing voices sometimes or something, or I feel really antsy all the time. And then, like, you know, the response from the community-based organization is like, well, something's wrong with you. I don't know. You need to go talk to somebody, right? As a, which is stigmatizing, right? Not helpful, not useful. As opposed to, can you tell me more about that? Um, maybe we have some folks we definitely could, like, um, you could talk more about that who could share some, who could, um, share some skills, some tools with you, right? So giving people really language and framing for that is so important. And so I started there, but I also worked in intimate partner violence. I've worked in mental health. I've also worked um, around, um, of course, clearly working with men and boys um, and, and what we call in Georgia, they call family intervention counseling, with, which many people would call just batters intervention courses. Like I worked with men who are committed to assault and battery, um, going through a, a six month program to like really begin to uh, change and transform their behavior and, and like, you know, and address the root causes of those, of those challenges. And so um, that work, I, I saw those intersections and I just saw that like, no, I felt like no one was really taking up this particular mantle of saying, hey, the mental health, the trauma our communities have impacted, been impacted by, the trauma of the HIV AIDS pandemic, the trauma of racial oppression or homophobia, what it means to be growing up in the United States as a gay person where you, your shame, shame is so deeply tied to your sexuality because everything about you, everything in the world is always questioning if you have a right to exist, right? And so um, all those pieces were deep, deeply trauma pieces that I felt like the many spaces weren't holding well. And so I wanted to create an institution that can begin to respond to that and speak to that, particularly in Black and marginalized communities, in a way that we could hear and it was in our language, in our cultural language. And um, that gave us more than just, like, you know, knowledge, but also gave us skills and tools and strategies to begin to advocate for ourselves, to get into care, but also to transform these systems into tools and the tools and methods and, and modalities that were really helpful for us. Ah, okay. Well, yeah, it sounds like you you did the work, you, you, you kind of sidestepped going through the mental health system and went right to the community with the same quality of care and information to transform directly rather than going through a hospital, a clinic, or a community mental health organization. Not to say that you wouldn't do that, but you're reaching directly into the community, which is really, really smart. 
Yeah, we, we, we really love that. And we definitely collaborate. Like, you know, if you look at our team, our team is, um, you know, Dr. Dr. Dion Bates, you know, counseling psychologist, Dr. Michael Frazier. Um, we're all like, we all have backgrounds in social work and yoga. Mm-hmm. Like, so mm-hmm. yeah. we definitely like, you know, we definitely have that training. But you're right. We definitely um, are very, really intentional about like, how do we hold space in literal communities? Like, so just just, just last night. Um, in Lamert Park, which is a black community in Los Angeles, we held an event in this coffee shop and like, you know, very much so the hardcore of this kind of community, people just walking in and it was all about masculine and mental health. And so like, you know, even though, and so like, you know, that curriculum was created by me and Dr. Michael Chan Frazier. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like we are really saying like, we need to go here, but we go there with the intention of saying like, you know, everything we have is like, here's some resources if you need broader care, because we know folks will need broader care, right? So we know some folks will need to go, because to, to go to um, a broader psychiatric or, or, or emotional treatment. Mm-hmm. What I hope is that when we do that kind of education, they'll be able to see that. And get into care, or they'll be able to see that in their family members and friends and colleagues, and get into care if needed, and that we can be a resource to kind of help guide them towards that path, right? So that's really our hope um, for our work, and like um, we definitely seen, uh, of course, there's a lot of response to our people are really engaging our work because, um, you know, we just recognize not only that we have a lot of we have a you know a, a dearth of clinicians often in many communities, right? There's yeah. not even that many <laughs> clinicians, and so. Um, we're trying to figure out how we can give people skills to at least do some alleviation of the stress until we can figure out how to address these other broader structural issues. Well, yeah, and and I mean, absolutely. I, I, I think it sounds like you're you're informing and destigmatizing simultaneously, and I think that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm I'm curious, what when was the last time you were you here you were here in Chicago? Since uh, we are based in Chicago, and Chicago's in our name. Yeah, I was I was in Chicago. Ha, huh? I was in Chicago. Um, we did a, we did an initiative. We did a conf, uh, Sometimes we get invited by private organizations to do different work. We did a mental health retreat. I did a retreat actually in Chicago. Um, sorry, that's what it was, and it was that was last year. I think July we did one. Um, but we but generally what we do in uh, across the country, and we're actually planning to do one in Chicago next year, is our um, black men our black mental health and healing justice peer support training. And that, and what that is, that is like a two-day training, and it's designed for anybody who works in black communities. So you could come, anybody who works in black communities, come to that training, and they, for two days, they get a really kind of good skills building and also contextual analysis about how to approach black mental health, how to, um, some of the challenges that black folks have around mental health and strategies to navigate it, um, as well as like, you know, not just black mental health in the sense of just African-American mental health, but understanding that blackness means um, black trans folks, queer folks, but also sometimes Caribbean immigrant folks as well. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the trains we do across the country with the intention of building a network of professionals, um, people who are, or a network of peer support people, if that makes sense, who have those skills and can like carry that work on in their communities. So we can offer capacity building and support for them to build better relationships um, and dynamics for clinicians and mental health folks. So, wow. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, and I also noticed that you have an, an online therapy initiative and online therapy is kind of taking off across the country. Um, and it's, it's make, giving people more access to mental health support and therapy and healing. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so we have our um, it's a directory, our Black Virtual Therapist, um, Black, Black Virtual Therapist Directory um, network, excuse me, and the BVTN was really in response to the fact that we had a lot of um, folks who were in rural communities throughout the country, some in the Midwest, some in the South, who were like, I really want a Black clinician, but there are none here. 
right? Like, you know what I mean? I mean, like, I want to I, I, I see someone who might have a different relationship to my, um, you know, my, my trauma and understand me in a certain kind of way. And I think it's also important, we always do a caveat, we always do a caveat that just because you're a black clinician or you're a white clinician or whatever, doesn't mean that you would necessarily have that framework, right? So we always make it clear, it's like, there are definitely many, many, um, many um, black folks or African-American people in the country who say, you know what, actually, I, I want a white clinician because I want someone who has a little bit of distance from the African-American community, or I want a Southeast Asian Indian clinician, and we hold space for that. But we also know that for some, some, some people that are so scared of the actual therapy, therapeutic intervention, that they only see someone who looks like them, right? So we recognize Correct. a lot of people like that. And so um, that's what the BBTN is, literally a directory of licensed telemental health um, providers across the country. Um, who you know, where people can access them and begin to like you know get access over the phone, or some of them are certified to do of course Skype and virtual um, um work, and we just want to make a directory space so people could find those folks if they're in a, if they're in like you know they're in the middle of Iowa and they're like I don't know where I'm going to find a black clinician right you know what I mean like or or they're you know are, are they're in the middle of, are they somewhere in you know um they're in alabama right they're in um Wetumpka, alabama which is a pl- actual place we've been to right and they're just like hey i can't find anybody here and we're like well great here's a here's a resource here, here's some telemental health providers who in the state of alabama can do phone mental health with you and like you know who are certified and trained with that and so i'm um, hoping that that'll once again just begin like you know crack away at the barriers it's not really our work right scott it's really about like how can we resource and supplement um, healing and mental health work in our communities. What do we need to be thinking about? And that's just one strategy. Well, if, is there uh, a fee for any clinicians who want to join up on that online uh, resource? No, no, there's no fee, no fee. So if people want to just join, all they have to do is submit themselves and our, and our team will check um, their credentials. Of course, they have to submit the license number and their certification for their telemental health, et cetera. And, um, but there's no fee for it. It's just completely free. And it's a service that we're just offering as a part of our, we get general core operating support funds from old fund organizations to be able to do stuff like that. So yeah, no fee. No fee mm-hmm. Okay. Well, um, you do have an upcoming coming training coming up, right? Oh yeah. We have a lot of trainings coming up. Let me tell you, I'm busy. <laughs> I know. Trying, uh, it was kind of difficult just because of the communication issues. But like, uh, I know that you've been busy. So I've been having like, well, you know, uh, people have been saying it being, you know, Yolo's here, Yolo's there. Oh, yeah, we can. We can you got like a half an hour. You got, you got five minutes. Yeah, here. yeah. Um. We are busy. <laughs> but, but our next one, our, our next one we have coming up is actually in Atlanta. Um, uh-huh. We are doing um, the the training I spoke about earlier, the Black Mental Health and um, Healing Justice training, and we're really excited because that's the peer support training that you know has a lot of wide applicability. And we have folks who going who going to be in that training who are you know working in law enforcement, people who are doing in the in diversion and diversion programs. We have people in there who are Black Lives Matters activists. We have folks in there who are working in LGBT organizations, uh, Planned Parenthood, um, all, all over the place. And we like, and that's one thing we love about our programs is we get people from every walk of life who are just like, hey, people are coming to me for support. I don't really have those skills. Can I at least have some baseline education so that I can at least help them until I can get them somewhere else? You know, mm-hmm. and we're like, mm-hmm. absolutely, we can help mm-hmm. you with that. You know? Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, is there anything else we've skipped or, or you'd like to mention? Um, well, I, you know, I, the piece I will, uh, I guess one piece I could add towards the end is that like, you know, to all the clinicians and folks who are listening and like, you know, so grateful for everyone's work is that, um, you know, one of the things that we talk about in, um, and one of our core principles of Beam's work is, and I know this is a little bit of a whopper to leave, conclude with, but we think it's so important 
as um, in order for us to do our healing justice work, we always say that we never ask someone if they are racist or if they are homophobic or if they are transphobic or all those pieces. And there's a reason we don't do that. Um, we think that it's kind of a silly question. And we think it's silly for a couple of reasons, right? So the one, main piece is that I'm 38 years old, Scott. I've lived for 38 years in a body that has been projected as a man. I've received all the psychological and social benefits that it could come with being a man in a culture where men dominate, right? And, um, and, because of, and as I've received that kind of privilege, even though that privilege is subverted by race in some ways, I've still received that privilege, but I've also received a lot of negative messages about women, you know, uh, from cartoons to television to sometimes the erasure of women's work and, like, and goals. And so all that's been happening as I've been evolving and growing as a human being. And so I say it's impossible to even say that, like, I couldn't have any sexism or any sexist ideas in my energy, spirit or consciousness. Right. That I would that, that, that it would have to like it, would have, it might show up in ways I'm not even cognizant of. And so the question we ask is more important than is YOLO sexist is where is your sexism showing up? Where is the sexism that you learned your whole life showing up in your behavior, your choices in your life? We feel like that's help more helpful because one, it doesn't. It, it, we know we no longer are asking if we have those ideas. We have to, because I've lived in a racist, homophobic society all my life. So even as a gay person, there are things that I've learned about gay people that I have to check myself on sometimes. I'm like, wait, but how do I believe that about myself? You know, or how do I believe that about women? How do I believe that? How do I believe that about black people? Yeah. And so, um, so we go from the place of curiosity, beginning like, where is this showing up? So that we can begin to address it, not from this place of like, you know, it's more like I'm better than you because I don't have this ism, but from the reality of, hey, I've lived in this world my entire life. I might have some ideas about black per- black people because I'm a white person moving through the world that even though I don't like, you know, have this like this conscious prejudice, it still could show up my behavior and choices because it's what I've learned my whole life. Right. Yeah, same we... thing for being a man, mm-hmm. same thing but for being a cisgender person or a rich person, you know. Those things are not always connected to this moral thing. Sometimes for some of us, they're really deeply subconscious and they still can be harmful and hurtful, right? Still very hurtful and harmful. But um, we have we, we, we start from that place. And so what I would say to clinicians and people who are listening is I want to invite you into that same curiosity to think about your practice and think about your work and think about wherever you're located. If you're a black person, Latino person, a white person, a man, a woman, um, a cisgender person. You know, thinking about like how are these things showing up in my life, in my behavior, and in my choices, and my practice, and how can I dismantle them, address them, and educate myself so that I can show up as a better clinician and healer and practice practitioner for everyone in my community. You know, and what does that look like? And I think that's a question I would love to leave folks with to begin to think about. And that's a part of because it's so core central to Beam's work, and I think it's so core central to all of our work to create a better world. Yeah. Well. I think that's that's a good note to end on. I think that's I think that's very true, and um, all of us kind of have to reassess the ideas and assumptions that we have. Where do they come from? With a yeah. was it society that created them, was it yeah. uh, our parents that, that put them in our head? Absolutely. Where when do we have a choice in how we think and feel about things? So, yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's an excellent uh, spot to end on. Well, thank you, Yolo. I think this has been really informative for me. And I will, of course, as we always do with the guests, we'll have uh, links on the show notes for the page on the website. And uh, we will broadcast you uh, on on our social media. And and thank you so much for coming aboard. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you for your work. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye.
Well, that's our interview with Yolo Akili. We hope you enjoyed it, found it informative and inspirational. You can find out more about Yolo and the work that Bean does and he does with Bean at www.beam.community, all one word, C-O-M-M-U-N-I-T-Y. We appreciate you tuning in. Please do us a favor and listen and give us a great review on your favorite podcast streaming service. It would help us out immensely. This podcast is for entertainment and informative purposes only. If you need a mental health professional, please seek one out. All material copyright 2019, the Chicago Psychology Podcast. Music is provided by the band Serenati. (laughs) 